it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week, we return to the endlessly fascinating world of beer marketing as I speak with Malcolm Eady, Brand Director, Craft and Premium at Lion. Part of Malcolm's portfolio is the James Squire brand, which has just released a major new integrated marketing campaign, Ordinary Be Damned. While the campaign itself is advertising, something we normally wouldn't cover as news, it's hard to ignore a major activation from Australia's largest craft beer brand. And Malcolm agreed to join me to discuss the evolution of the James Squire brand, the craft beer segment itself, the challenges that growing craft breweries face, and the novel consumer challenges that the brewing industry is facing all through the prism of this campaign. It's a fascinating chat and Malcolm offers insights into the industry that are relevant for anyone looking at their beer brand and how it fits into the marketplace. I hope you enjoy it and learn as much as I did. Malcolm Eady, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. And uh, this is going to be a great and very uh, broad-ranging chat. What I might do is start with, um, you are the brand director, Craft and Premium. Um, and one of the questions that taxes my mind these days is, how do you define what is craft beer? What falls within your portfolio? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, and I think if you start from you know consumers and how they view the category, um, it's definitely not as well defined in their minds, I think, as as you know in the industry we see it. So, um, you know, people looking for beers that are more progressive, they definitely feel for them like they're we call a step up. So, you know, they're they're a price point up, they're a quality step up uh, from mainstream beer. Um, you know, they see those craft. Um, they also see premium brands. So, Cooper's uh, a good example. Furphy. Um, so yeah, in the minds of consumers, it's definitely not as um, as clearly defined as as we probably make it out to be in within the industry itself. So I think that's interesting. You know, and and those lines are blurring between, you know, what what is crafty craft, um, and and per, perhaps those breeds and brands that are a bit more kind of approachable for for drinkers that aren't as quite into craft uh, or just starting on their journey into into craft. I'm I'm glad that you don't have a clear answer. I was recently asked to write an article about, you know, that included uh, what is craft these days, and I had to revert mm. to the to, to the old castle line. You know, it's Marbo, it's the Constitution, it's the vibe of the thing, which vibe, sounds yeah. like what, what you're explaining it as. Yeah, and I think within those, you know, we talk about, um, you know, if you think about macro trends and, and think about trends yourself as a consumer of, of other non-beer categories you know i think um craft's definitely tapping into to the trend towards local uh, and consumers supporting uh local so that's you know local groceries um your local businesses you know uh craft and and any australian beer producer playing in a in a, a smaller space is definitely tapping into to local um, and there's definitely, you know, a desire for trying new and interesting things, and craft has has led the forefront of that. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that's only, you know, your craftier brewers that can they can tap into 
you know, offering new and interesting and exciting uh, different types of liquids. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a blurring and, and some of those macro trends, you know, are, have been great for, for craft, I think. But, yeah, it, it's hard to segment and we do see um, different beers playing in, in what we call a, a consumer's repertoire. So if you think maybe 10, 15 years ago, your average Australian beer drinker would drink two or three different brands. Um, today, the average is about five or six, um, and depending on the occasion that they're buying for, um, you know, if it's a bit more of a laid-back, casual occasion, they might want to choose a, a beer that's easy to share, maybe a bit easier to drink. Um, whereas if it's more of an occasion where they want to, you know, something a bit more special, reward themselves, maybe with a nice meal, um, it might be one of your more premium beers that might have a bit more flavour uh, attached to it. But um, yeah, consumers aren't choosing exclusively between. Uh, the different segments of beer, they're definitely choosing from within and, from, and across them as well. How big a challenge does that present somebody with your job then in, in terms of, you know, uh, and we're going to come to the James Squire campaign, but when you're looking at reaching the same consumer who is making, whose decision tree has fundamentally changed over the last decade, how, mm. how hard is it for you to formulate any campaign or to, to, to plan to reach them? Um, it, it's definitely, I mean, it makes it fun and challenging. Um, and, the, and the key to all that is really starting with what, you know, really understanding consumers deeply. Um, so you want to ensure that you know what's driving their buying behavior, um, what's dri- driving their attitude towards um, different brands and segments. You know, what do they really want? Um, and if you can serve the consumer first and really tap into what is the need I want and, and make your brand relevant to that, then then that's the key. So yeah, it, it's harder and there's a bit more, you know, there's a lot more data these days. Um, but fundamentally it just keeps coming back to really deeply understand what your consumer wants and then attach your brand to that. And that's that's half the job, uh, if not more than half the job to, to do. Has the beer consumer changed over the last ten or fifteen years? Yeah, so when when you look at the characteristics of the consumer, have they changed? Yeah, like hugely, um, you know, and I think the one of the big changes is, you know, we're not just competing within beer, you know, the beer consumer's got a lot more choices, you know, new categories emerging as well, which has got its own challenges. Um, as I said, I think that um, increase in, in people's, um, the number of brands that they would choose from, that's a, that's a big change. Um, and certainly we have seen a growth in people wanting to drink uh, flavorful beers um, and, and you know across the whole spectrum so you kind of more easygoing approachable uh, flavorsome beers like your Cooper's pale ales or your 150 lashes you know, all the way through to the more complex bold styles that you know kind of the crafty crafts of your IPAs um, so that flavorful segment's still growing even though the you know the biggest segment of the market is still your easy drinking really sessionable uh, Chris Wagas. Um, so yeah, th- there has been a fair bit of change, um, as you'd expect, and, and as you'd also hope, because I think it makes uh, the category more dynamic because th- there's more, uh, there's always change, and consumers looking for for new things. One of the mantras that craft beer, you know, the, the proponents of craft beer, and myself included, used to say is that craft beer will bring more consumers, you know, who may have shied away from that traditional lager culture would bring more consumers to beer. Do you think that has played out? Do you think that, you know, beer has a vibrant, more vibrant, viable ecosystem because of the new consumers that craft beer has brought um, into the into the market? Or do you think that 
the market would be would have been the same without the you know explosive growth of or the, the explosive variety that craft beer has offered. Yeah, I definitely has um has played a big contribution to the vibrancy of the category. Um and you know I think the the diversity of styles that craft brewers have introduced has been fantastic. Um I think the only sort of comment make on that is that you know a lot of those styles don't necessarily attract new consumers i think what they've attracted is people who's as their palates kind of mature they want to um, try and move into hoppier styles um so yeah it's definitely added to the vibrancy of the category um i think you know it's helped um helped with the notion of you know people are drinking less which is a good thing um so not you know chugging down beers but they're actually wanting to buy quality uh, and crafts definitely delivered on the you know the quality you need for consumers. So drink less, but drink better. Um, that's another big rule that crafts played over the over the last ten fifteen years for sure. It, it's been interesting to watch some of the you know early craft brewers who again flew that flag of you know we want to make beer, we want to make it better. Beer is enough um, to build our business on, and it, it, it's been interesting for me to watch. The number of them that have, you know, allowed their own product line to to blur a little bit, and we're seeing craft brewers making seltzers, and we're seeing mm-hmm. craft brewers who are playing in some of those non-strict beery spaces. What do you think that says about the industry? You know, was that, um, you know, it's all about beer flag a little bit premature or a little bit misguided ten years ago? Do you think? I think where some of that comes from is you know a desire to continue to be innovative so if craft brews you know being innovative in a beer space um is, is where it all began um i think what you've seen there you know whether it's some of the some of them doing spirits and and seltzers like you said you know we're doing ginger beer and looking we're also looking to expand out of squares into more um non-beer areas as well i think that's about being innovative and pining which again i think is another hallmark uh, of of the craft uh industry and craft scene so yeah, I think it's exciting, uh, and you know, it's it's where a lot of the innovation is coming from. Um, so that's a good thing. Completely agree, and you know, it, it it's great for business. I guess you know, as, as somebody who was, you know, caught up in the passion of the inverted commas, the promise of of, of craft beer at the same time. Um, you know, a, a lot of humble pies had to be eaten. You know, uh, when you when you look at what some. Craft brewers, um, for want of a better description, uh, are doing in the name of innovation. They probably would have been a little bit scornful had Lion or CUB done that ten or fifteen years ago. Uh, yeah, well, maybe. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I can sense <laughs> your, your, your diplomacy, and uh, but uh, I'll, so I'll, I'll 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 go on record as saying that, and uh, you, you, you can I'll agree you or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it, it is a good thing, and you know ultimately beer as a total category still has its challenges with you know um people you know strong strong beery flavors are not for everyone and we're definitely seeing younger drinkers um you know less likely to come into the beer category at the rates that you know they would have done a generation ago so you know beer has to continue to keep recruiting um you know i know we're going to talk about non-alc you know that's a big space um for the beer category so you know beyond just the role of uh, suppliers and brewers you know for the for the category itself you know meaning that need around not drinking alcohol i, I think beer's got a, a great 
platform to come from because the quality of the product is good. You know, non-alt beer uh, is a pretty good, pretty good uh, taste in liquid uh, compared to its full strength equivalent, which I don't think you get in the likes of wine. Mm. Um, and then also trying to find, uh, you know, beer flavors that are um, easy drink, easier drinking, but not necessarily just uh, keep rolling out crisp, sessionable lagers because, again, um, some of the younger palates don't like the taste uh beery tastes um but they're still looking for some of the things that beer can offer which is it's easy to share it offers great refreshment um so that's another innovation space to to try and uh find the way to bring bring drinkers in and particularly younger drinkers matt and, and that's, that's where some of the fruited sours have possibly uh mm. you know those, some of those styles because I, I i hear what you're saying about drinkers and younger drinkers being less likely to embrace the beer flavors but you know, that was things I was hearing from the likes of Bill Taylor 20 years ago when, you know, um, the contemporary, you know, the the Iron Jacks and that style of beer um, in the Coronas, which were the lower bitterness um, flavours were coming through as well. So it sounds like it's still an enduring battle for brewers to find relevance with, you know, the the, the, the younger palate. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, we talk about consumer problems and we call them problems because you're looking for ways to solve them. And, and that's definitely one is, you know, beer can taste bitter um it can be bloating um so finding new and interesting ways that'll appeal to those younger drinkers that can solve that um that that hasn't gone away that problem i think it's the moving beyond now just the easy drinking lager based beers to find different ways to do it and and then that sour space map definitely is is something you know we're exploring not just for for craft beers to to play in but for other for other brands in the portfolio as well. Oh, interesting. I'll, uh, I'll, I won't put the boat on you to uh, tell us what they are at this stage, but I, I, I did hear you say uh, some of the non-traditional products that you were considering for the Squires brand. Um, does that mean that there could potentially be a Squires seltzer, for example? Not so much a seltzer. Um, that's not one, um, and it's probably a bit too early to to share too much but yeah ne- next year early 2023 um we're, we're looking to to play a bit more you know we've done ginger beer so um that's i guess a kind of crossover from beer into um starting to talk about sort of rtd um style drinks and appealing to people who you know they want a bit of a sweeter flavor but they still want refreshment um so that ginger beer has gone well um we'll definitely do a couple other things in the ginger beer space um, and then next year, looking to um, play out a bit further out from, you know, core beer, I guess, um, without giving away too much at this stage. So it's exciting. It's good. And it, it just shows that what we learned from talking to consumers about James Squire is, you know, trusted quality is something that um, they see from that brand. And it's, it's you know, oh, yeah, if they did it, um, it, would, it would taste good. So, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely be giving it a try. Well, which brings us to uh, the alcohol-free that I wanted to talk about. Is that one of the reasons I, I was very surprised to see um, alcohol-free come so quickly to the to the Squires range? Was it a little mm. bit of that consumer trust as a means to you know play in that alcohol-free space? Yeah, definitely. Um, so that you know, it's the biggest barrier for for beer and any brand to unlock is you know, is it going to taste any good? So overcoming that taste and quality perception. So that's what we saw as opportunity for James Squire in that space. Um, you know, a, a little bit of flavor, but, you know, um, not too much because 
it is appealing to to non-alc drinkers who are looking for something premium. Um, they might be buying a Peroni or a Heineken, um, and Squires is an, an opportunity to, to trade up. It's an local Aussie brand, but it delivers against that quality expectation and addresses the quality issue um, that consumers do have when they're, they're venturing into non-alc beer. And, and you also had the, I, I, I won't say it an advantage, but you had the the difference where a lot of the craft low alk are the yeast driven um, mm. versions. You've you've got the technology to do the brew it full strength and then remove the uh, you know remove the alcohol, which it, it is a different flavour and product proposition. I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is, and. You know, I think there's, um, as the way that non-alcs exploding, you know, there's room for for a lot of styles of beer, and, and I love uh, seeing. I'm a big, I'm a big craft drinker, and I, I've drank a lot of non-alc, uh, particularly last year through lockdown, and explored, you know, all the different craft uh, options that were coming out, and it's amazing to see how many there are, and the quality you can get out of, you know, IPA, non-alc IPAs, and non-alc stouts. So I think that that range is there. Um, clearly, that you know the big pools of consumers wanting to um, moderate and and have those occasions where they when they drink strictly non-alc. Um, you know, it's going to be more in the space for where Squires is playing with that the zero beer. But um, yeah, I I just think it's great. It's great for the category how how much consumers are getting behind uh, non-alc beer. So that's one of the other things that's been taxing my mind. I've seen so much attention given to uh, low alk or, and, or zero alk from the media and also the retailers who have been pushing it, um, mm. which I, I guess I always look at it, well, there's a, there's a vested interest. The media love a, 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 a sizzle story. The, the, the retailers certainly want to push the idea of low alk because, um, or zero alk because, you know, if people move away from alcohol, they still need a business. Um, mm. But I'd not seen too much take up in the wild, as I like to, to, to talk about it. But then in the US recently, we saw um, athletic brewing had jumped from yep. 65 to 27. So clearly the volumes are coming. Yeah, and I think Australia's, um, as you've hinted at, you know, probably a bit, bit later than the likes of the UK um, states, you know, Western Europe and how, how big it is. And I think in Spain, which is a big beer drinking um, culture, uh, big beer culture over there, it's 15% of the beer category now, non-out beer, which, which is incredible, right? So how big it'll get in Australia, we don't, we don't quite know, but um, it's um, it's been great to see see what it does. And I think it's good for the, for the category because, again, it – helps to give a perception of being modern and progressive and um, you know having uh, really good tasting beers for people who you know are more and more making the decision not to not to drink alcohol even if that's on just specific occasions do you think we'll see the time when people will selectively choose alcohol free beer not as a functional thing or you know to to you know one in three of their beers on a night out um, so they're drinking an adult beverage as opposed to water or something else. Do you think we will see a time where oh, people absolutely. actually drink it out of choice? It's already happening because the category was changing so quickly, Matt, and, and we, we thought consumers' attitudes were changing quickly. We went back and did some research um, beginning of last year, big sort of qualitative piece of research, and it was amazing to see the change even from a couple of years before with people saying, yeah, I just drink um, non-alc beer because it tastes good. Um, 
And if I get grief from some of my mates, this brilliant quote from a guy going, I like, I drink non out beer because I like the taste of beer. You guys drink full strength beer because you just like getting drunk. <laughs> you know, and that's an interesting way to look at it because the taste is, it's fantastic in some of the beers and there is choice. You know, if you're a craft drinker, you can get great tasting IPAs and stouts and XBAs. Um, and if you're a lager drinker, a world of choice there. So, yeah, it's happening, and I think it'll it'll happen more and more. Uh, again, probably led by younger drinkers who, you know, quite happy, you know, having adulthood and and wanting to drink. So, it's uh, yeah. What's the space? Yeah, and I, look, I'm completely, you know, I, I I'm asking questions, which I guess is my job, but yeah, you know, asking questions about the whole alcohol free space, not asking questions here because I I am really interested in it, and you know, it, it, it's interesting to hear that people are drinking it because they like the flavor um and not getting drunk because as much as i've always been someone whose mantra has been drink less drink better and drink for flavor not for effect i'd, I'd be lying if it wasn't that slight you know yeah. Um, yeah. feeling that comes with having a beer or you know drinking responsibly that sort of eases you into your friday night and eases the social occasions the social lubricant aspect that is there but then uh, i i also have spoken to a lot of people who say that well the power of, you know, it's almost a Pavlovian effect of having that taste in your mouth still releases the dopamine and the endorphins that come, um, that, that we're, we're trained to have in uh, those situations. And so you still get the same positive feeling without the alcohol. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the other part is, you know, um, when you're socialising with your friends, you know, if you were having, you know, uh, a reason not to drink, it doesn't, you don't feel part of the group uh, when you just drink in a soft drink in the water and everyone else is having having a beer, and that's that's what consumers tell us. So that sort of being part of the social group. Um, so I think as non-alcoholic becomes more normal, normalising, you know, the fact you can still hold uh, a beer uh, in inverted commas, it's just a non-alcoholic one, also addresses that um, need to feel like you're still part of the group, um, which is another you know emotional reason people want to enjoy a drink. So. Yeah, it's exciting. I think it's uh, it's going to be fascinating to see where it goes and and what people do. Um, and I think other alcohol categories, you know, they're gonna they're gonna get up to speed. I think with you know some of the t- technically how how they do it and and the offers uh, that are there as well. So it's something beer needs to to continue to push to to stay out in front. I think. Which brings us to the new James Squire campaign, which is again, it's it's one of those things that I find fascinating because I'm I'm sure that the first craft beer billboards that I saw, you know, in 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 the earlier days of craft beer were James Squire, and it's um, the the biggest craft brand in 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 the country. So it does lead mm-hmm. on these sorts of uh, much bigger, you know, campaign led activities. Yeah, and and. It is of that sort of size um, and an appeal that you know people do want to hear from from the brand. They want to know, you know, what the brand's about beyond being you know good, trusted quality quality beer. And um, certainly, the Squire story, you know, when we were talking to consumers, was a thing that you know people would latch on to. Um, it would give you know a sense of personality and and intrigue behind the brand beyond just you know the beers themselves. So. Yeah, uh, you know, marketing and advertising is the part of, you know, attracting any consumers and and getting consumers to walk, walk into a pub or a bottle shop and pick up pick up your your products. So, 
yeah, it's it's needs to be done, and the trick is find something that consumers are going to care about and remember, <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> which, we, which is what we hope we've done. It, it, it it's interesting you say that because I, I spoke to Greg Cook from Stone Brewing. Uh, four or so years ago, just as some of the, the the largest American craft breweries started to seem to hit headwinds, or I described it as you know the the, the craft beer glass ceiling, that passion, excitement, um, you know, local, all of those things drove the rapid growth of some of those big craft beer brands back in the day. But there is a point that you almost hit the ceiling when when you reach a certain size you're no longer seen as niche and boutique and small and local and what is the thing that gets you to the next stage of growth and marketing seems to be the thing that does that look good marketing does and that that's not easy itself but you know it, it you know it's um, advertising is part of trying to appeal to new consumers um you know people who might not have heard of your brand before or they might have heard of but of it, but they don't really consider it too much as something they buy because they don't know enough. Um, so yeah, I, I, like you say, you get to maybe get to certain scale, but it's also about you know not just talking to the people who've always drunk you, but also looking to to attract new consumers and and looking to bring them into the brand uh, through advertising, through the types of products that that you make. Um, so yeah, it, it's all about trying to find that that new consumer as well. And that's clearly what you've uh, tried to do with the new campaign. So maybe, maybe tell us what the, 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 the thinking is behind the uh, new campaign uh, that comes from new creative agency, Milk and Honey. Yeah, so, you know, in looking to, you know, the size of Squires, um, we knew there was a lot of people who, you know, they don't drink craft. Um, they're probably drinking the likes of Coopers, but they're drinking international premium brands. Um they want something that's a bit better quality, um, but they're also looking for things that have got a bit excitement and, and interest and, and, you know, more of the brand story as well. And, you know, in talking to consumers, those consumers about James Squire, um, it was definitely the story of James Squire was one of the things that really resonated. Um, you know, it's a very uh, Australian story about a guy who, you know, had lots of ups and downs in life, uh, led, some would say, a very uh, interesting and extraordinary life. But, you know, he ultimately ended up opening his own brewery and kind of rags to rags to Rich's tail, which, uh, you know, we thought, well, if a lot of people still don't know that story, it would be a good opportunity to tell that. And, and that's in the advertising. But I, I guess the, the idea of be damned is it's a bit of an attitude. It's an attitude we think Squires would have had. Um, it's a positive attitude, you know, it's saying that anything's possible, um, live an extraordinary life, um, it should be full of excitement and fun. Um, so that's what we're looking to do, uh, not just in the ad, but, you know, as a, as a way to guide what the brand does um, through I mean, the beers that it does, the experiences that you can get at the brewer houses, um, and the things we'll, we'll look to bring to life over the next uh, 12 months and beyond. It's interesting watching because I've I've read the I believe that the James Squire brand was conceived by Chuck after reading a PhD thesis you know that sort of looked at you know the the facts that were establishable about the man James Squire and you know it, it's interesting to see the evolution of the brand where these stories are undoubtedly true um, and, and and based in fact but there's that little bit of creative myth making that makes them much more acceptable or much or much less drier um, for, for, for that broader consumer is that a fair observation the, the, the way that they are 
built on with swagger and style and those sorts of things rather than just the dry historical facts that yeah i I think you know um i love history but i think most people don't want to overthink the uh the stories too much when it comes to to any brand but um i think it's a very australian thing you know a bit of embellished storytelling you know furphy uh in the vernacular uh is a very australian thing so um yeah a bit of storytelling you know off of a guy who did lead do some incredible things and and had this uh crazy life and um you know i think chuck over the years has kept in touch with um the squires uh descendants in the current family mm. and yeah they, they continue to find uh, you know new and interesting things about what what he did as as they learn more of the history so yeah but a bit of creative storytelling for sure just to you know do the right by what was a pretty incredible life one, one of the things and i i hope um, <laughs> this doesn't sound off, but uh, there, there was a similarity between the recent um, Dan Murphy's uh, yes. ad, which I felt this sat much more fairly with the James, you know, that style of storytelling just seemed to be a lot you know, truer with the James Squire brand than the Dan Murphy's one. But they also seem to have slightly different objectives because, as you said, the Telling the James Squire story was building a personality into the brand. I, I felt that the Dan Murphy's one was trying to sort of say, "Hey, we're not just a big box retailer that you sort of see around mm. the country." It was trying to take it back to a person rather than a corporation. Is 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 that a fair marketing outcome description? Yeah, and look, I, I really enjoyed the Dan Murphy's ad. I think it was a really well executed ad. Um, so good on them. They did a, they did a good job with that. It was it was good fun. Um, and I think, you know, probably the same thing, you know, you, a founder's story is putting a bit of personality in the brand. I'm sure they learned from consumers that they wanted to know a bit more about Dan Murphy's and, and his life, um, which, again, is moving it beyond, you know, we're, we're a retailer and it's what we sell, same as a, this is a, we're a beer maker. This is what, you know, products that we produce. Um, consumers do engage with, you know, brand stories, brand the history of brands and, uh, the trick as a marketer is you want to try and tell those in, in a way that's interesting, exciting and fun. So, yeah, I, I think it's probably not too dissimilar an objective from from what we were also trying to do with Trim Squire. The, the other thing is, as the biggest craft beer brand, that also gives you the resources to have a bigger execution um, of, of your marketing concepts, as is the case here. Yeah, I, you know, Trim Squire, you know, within the wine portfolios, you know, it's a big brand outside of the world of craft. Um, you know, it's one of our most important. And therefore, you know, with, with any brands, you want to make sure that you invest behind them, particularly if you want them to grow. So, yeah, um, making sure we, you know, invest the right labels in the right areas is important. And, and a good sign, you know, that, that it's a brand that we see a big future for and, and want to continue to recruit new consumers into it. I believe from what you're saying that it's, the, the, the James Quay brand is about twice the volume of the next biggest craft beer brands, which would yep. be Stone and Wood and Little Creatures, for example. Yeah. But the 150 Lashes is the biggest, by clearly the biggest brand in, that, in, in, in the Squires range. It's the biggest brand in the Squires range, so it'd be 65% of the total brand sales. Um, you know, five years ago, it would have been closer to 80. Um, so we've seen other products come in and and you know add their contribution which has been which has been great and again that's about trying to find products that 
appeal to different tastes. Um, so ginger beer has just been phenomenal in the last couple of years and we launched that during COVID and that's been, uh, we had some issues trying to even just su- supply it um, for about a year, but that'll be our second biggest very soon um, as ginger beer seems to be having a renaissance. Okay. Um, and then we had a lager and then um, we've talked about the zero elk, which was just launched in October. So that's not even a year old, but um, so yeah, lashes is still still the main one it's been around for so long and you know there's a lot of love for it as a you know an approachable pale ale um but it's been great to to be able to innovate and and see others you know establish themselves as well it seems to be a challenge and and, and again this is purely observational because i don't have the inside numbers from businesses but it's interesting to hear that the one product within the, the the range is so successful for squires because when you look at little creatures the little creatures pale ale they've always struggled to find a second plate of that and stone and woods you know pacific ale was just so huge and they mm. always f- seem to find it hard to try and create a second uh, string to that bow and then even if you look at uh, matilda bay when fat yak launched there was no product in the range you know it became the range and was spun off into its own product line as a result. Is is that a challenge for, for, for brand owners when you have one standout product to, to try and create the second act? Yeah, I mean, I'm, that's been my experience on James Squire. Like we had a you know crack at a couple of things that were closer in. So there was Swindler, uh, which was a tropical, essentially a Pacific ale um, before I before I started working the brand that was launched. Um, and I think what the learning was is, you know, could we probably overestimate consumers' ability to think that, you know, by introducing another beer that might just be another easy drinking, easier drinking, flavoursome beer as an example, um, it's it, it's a big job to get consumers to think about that being that different from that big first one that you've got. So in the case of Squires, you know, Lashes meets my needs as it's approachable flavour, um, you know, it's not big, bold, uh, complex craft, um, but yet the rest of the Squires range were probably playing to that similar need um, versus where we're looking at signing going, okay, here's an opportunity for people who really want to moderate. Um, they're looking for zero alk. That, that's when you start to find things that are truly incremental. Um, that was the same way of thinking with that, you know, really good premium lager and then obviously ginger beer completely different again. So, um yeah, you do have to try and find the the spaces of you know the taste profiles that are going to be incremental to what you've already got, and when you're so big that you know that does become a bit harder. But it just means you've got to push yourself and look beyond uh, look beyond kind of your, your backyard. I think in terms of the types of things you're already doing and going, hey, people love the um, idea of what craft craft beers can be, but that doesn't mean say they want you to give them another crafty crafty liquid so yeah this is what I, I find fascinating about the industry as much as i enjoy drinking the product it's these the voodoo and black magic that you have to con- <laughs> contend with um to to create a brand um and and i'd say that you know very, very um about the skills that are involved in but ultimately marketing is such a um that there, there is a bit of black magic involved in it yeah, well, we, we talk about the art and the science, and the science, you know, sits with, you know, do you really understand, you know, what does the consumer want? What's the what's the buying behaviour? 
um, what are they looking for that they're not currently getting from other people in the marketplace and really deeply understanding that and you need data and you need uh, to really get into into the insights that, that drive the consumer. Um, and then the art is um, really about how you craft that into something compelling. So, you know, the art and the science, whether it's the, the voodoo and the black magic, but the, <laughs> the, art, the, art, the art bit's hard, but the science bit's hard too. And, you know, um, plenty, you know, plenty of things that also fail along the way. And um, you got to take the learnings from those and then go, okay, you know, what, what do we do better next time? Um, so yeah, that's what makes it fun, man. <laughs> and endlessly challenging, but that's uh, what one of because uh, having poured um, 150 lashes at the exhibition, for example, and also um, Pacific Ale, and you see, um, you know, consumers coming up and asking for stone and wood because to mm. them that is synonymous with Pacific Ale, um, and then even with the 150 lashes, they just come up and say 50 lashes, thanks, mate. So they don't even know the full. They know what they want, and it's obviously yes. so deeply ingrained. But you, you, you've got to contend with consumers make the brand their own on some level. Yeah, and and you know we talk about you know the wanting to get too many of the marketing concepts where men, the mental availability with consumers just means like. There's you know so many brands out there. People don't care about brands that much. The fact that a brand like Stone and Wood can get the mind of a consumer to go, yep, Pacific Hill and connect that to the brand is amazing. And, and same with Lashes. But you know those brands have been around uh, best part of ten to twelve years. Mm. It, it doesn't happen overnight either. So you know, that's another challenge with marketing, I think. And it, you know it's easy to lose patience. Um, it's easy to kind of go, oh, these things need to happen overnight. Whereas you know, lashes, uh, knowing that journey well, and, and even Pacific Hill, um, they took a long time, you know, to to get established. So, overnight success is not easy. And how's it be such as shackles going? Because we are seeing a bit of a lager renaissance, and people starting to look at the craft lagers. And I, I think it's a cracking beer that, that for, for, mm. for the space that it's in. Are you seeing growth in in that in that space? Yeah, well, we had good growth. Over the last year, um, we've seen that slow down over the last quarter. And a, a couple of things, you know, been challenges for us, you know, again, having launched through COVID, but knowing the importance of the on-premise, to, which was critical to the original success of Lashes, it would have been critical to the success of uh, Stonewood Pacific Hill. And, you know, for a lot of craft beers, people enjoying it on tap. We, we haven't had that, um, you know, in New South Wales and Victoria. So... Um, that's definitely something we need to make sure is that, you know, the, it's available on tap and as people go back into on-premise, you know, they can pick it up and try it. But, you know, it's going to a decent size. Um, it's still important to us um, and we'll, you know, continue to support it and, and look for growth. And the, the key to that is, you know, this is for people who are drinking premium lagers. You know, they're not drinking uh, craft beer beers. They're looking for premium lagers. So you're competing with, you know, the international premium lagers. Um, it's for people who are going to trade up from something that's a bit more mainstream. Um, so, you know, it's playing in a different different kind of consumer set and space that we think about as craft. So that's also challenging, but good um, because, you know, you got to work out how to appeal to that consumer and meet that consumer as well. So, so just back to the Ordinary Be Damned campaign, um, we, we've seen that launched. What's the future for that? And have you got various components that are going to add to it as it goes? Yeah, definitely. So we kind of see it as a, 
you know, a long-term um, idea for the brand, you know, it can drive what the brand does, whether that's, you know, a piece of advertising uh, on a billboard or an experience of the brand that consumers might have, but also then, you know, the types of innovation that, that we would do. So um, we'll have some innovation at the, at the end of the year that would definitely look uh, to, to be extraordinary. Uh, so look out for that. So yeah, it'll be ongoing. Um, it's a big launch with the the media campaign this month. Um, but yeah, it'll it'll be something that we think can can be a brand call and a brand idea for for years to come. So terrific. Well, we might thank you for this uh, really fascinating chat about uh, marketing and some of the things that are fed into the campaign. We might even touch base with you in six months' time or so to see you know yeah, love to. how it's gone. That would be great. Wonderful. Well, Malcolm Eady, thank you very much for your time and uh, in- insights about, uh, about so much about the craft brewing industry, including the, uh, you know, the, the background of the James Squire campaign. And uh, take care. You too. Thanks for having me, Matt. And that was Malcolm Eady. If you're a listener, don't forget you can join the conversation on the best discussion group on the internet, the Radio Brews News Facebook group. To join our Facebook group, just search for Radio Brews News in Facebook, obviously and use the password Soapbox. If you like what we do, you can help us out in a number of ways. If you're a business, you can sponsor the show. You can have your name up in lights right here. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service, or you can email us at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts, because after all, beer is a conversation. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. This conversation.